Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. Your company may have a clear purpose, but does it have soul? I've spent years trying to make sure that both exist in my businesses. So I was really keen to sit down this week with Ralph Specht, a man driven by a very clear and very strong mission to make soulless companies a thing of the past. In our conversation, we deep dive into what it means to build a culture from the ground up. Having run a successful creative agency for more than eight years as a joint venture with Jaguar Land Rover, Ralph shares his insight into the critical need to create what he describes as an environment where amazing things can happen. Ralph has gone on to write a book which details the different elements which come from the foundations of a culture set to thrive. He talks to me about the key ingredients of his corporate soul system, explaining why the shared purpose, shared understanding and shared behaviours form the backbone of an upstanding organisation. We both talk about energy, engagement and inspiration and why human capital is truly the most important asset to business success. Anyone who cares about their business, team or agency will learn so much from this conversation. Oh, and by the way, if you enjoy it, please click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. Thanks. Ralph, it's lovely to see you, um, particularly with your beautiful view of South Africa. So you've just come back from there. Um, How are you today? I'm very well. Thanks, Supi, for having me on the show. That's fine. How is your soul? How is my soul? Yeah. My soul is in, in good shape, I would, I would say. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm actually enjoying life right now. Um, as you said, I've just come back from, from South Africa. Um, and um, since we had the book launch on the 22nd of the second month in the 22nd year of the century, so 22-2-22, I thought was the lucky number, <clears throat> and it actually proved like that. So I'm actually doing very fine. Good, good. Well, you know, your book is called The Future of Business, uh, bu- Building Corporate Soul. Um, so I think we'll have that as a theme for our conversation today, because I'm, as you know, you know, the reason that we, well, we've known each other for a long time, you've been in the world of, of advertising and agencies. Um, but I think, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about the importance of culture, the importance of soul. Um, you know, I, I often think that our soul comes from our background, perhaps, um, you know, and, and often we start in that place in these podcasts. What was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in northern Germany. I do live now in Frankfurt. 
um, in, in a small village, actually. And um, um, yeah, I mean, there was nothing too fancy to uh, to talk about. It was just a, just a small village and a, and a small town school. And then, um, as probably most of us went then to 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 a, to a larger city. Um, I mean, when I started my professional life, <clears throat> I intended initially to become a journalist. And uh, Did you? I was so so uh, happy actually. I started my. Uh, my professional life at, at Bertelsmann Publishing Group, and and uh, there I had the opportunity to actually get in touch with very top-notch journalism. And uh, actually, I was a bit disappointed. And at the same time, I got the opportunity to be in touch with top-notch advertising. And um, well, I took the other turn, as they say, and um, the rest is history. Yeah, gosh, I didn't know that you wanted to be a journalist. I can understand that. Well, so then you've sort of come back to the writing piece. So you've actually probably done what you, you thought you were going to do at the very beginning of your career. Yeah, well, I never really thought I would ever write a book. Um, but, uh, you know, when, 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 when I stepped down as, as CEO from Spark 44, which was a bit of a surprise to everyone <clears throat> in terms of the timing, the, um, the messages that I got from my fellow colleagues um, were deeply touching and, um, and I think it was like over three days that these messages came came in and and uh, as it was happening <clears throat> I was thinking well this is this is some something special because it these weren't just the farewell messages that you would normally expect of like it's been great working with you and, and all these things um, these these messages went deeper, much much deeper, and uh, they all um, basically looked at what we had created uh, as a whole in the company in terms of the culture and the um, and the spirit that we've been able to 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 convey, and that's what people shared with me in terms of what it meant to them, what they thought or remembered their individual connection to me had uh, had been and uh, in terms of um, their uh, worries where, where it would go because I was the last of the founding uh, team that was leaving the company. Mm -hmm. So these messages were so touching uh, and three of them are in the book um, uh, because they truly tell the story of uh, what you get when you have a company with so yeah, and let's come on to that a little bit because Spark Forty Four, which was the agency that you founded, that was a it was a joint venture. I'm not sure if we call it that right word between ended up Jaguar Land Rover um, and you know and creating an agency. And and to that extent, it was a very very different model. It was very radical, really, because we've got you know agencies like um, CHI that had kind of like a big founding client. Um, we had O2 that kind of, you know, had a startup agency and, and were very much part of it, but, but they hadn't really been, uh, apart from perhaps Samsung, which was probably not, Chael was not massive success in the same way. Um, how did it happen? How did it come about? Well, I got involved um, pretty much early on as probably the second uh, a person from the, from the management team. First person was Steve, Steve Wolford, um, yes, who, who was involved with uh, some consulting work for uh, uh, JLR. 
And <clears throat> from that consulting work um, came the notion of, well, we need an agency structure that is tailor-made and uh, none of the existing solutions did actually meet the requirements. And so um, Steve and, and our initial uh, chairman, Hans Riedel, came up with the idea of, well, then why don't we build it and uh, we'll, we, we partner as a 50-50 joint venture. And then Steve called me up and, and told me about it and asked if I, if I was interested to help. To help. And uh, first, I didn't believe what he was talking about. I said, you better send me a business plan, otherwise I don't, I don't do <laughs> And he sent a business plan and uh, I read through the business plan and had a few thoughts, but um, pretty much the next evening we were on the phone again and, and we said, well, now let's, let's, let's do it. Let's make it happen. Mm. And um, we got the green light in... February 2011, yeah. um, that green light basically uh, suggested that we had three and a half months to set up an agency in four locations worldwide with 80 people. Um, so that was quite something to- Yeah, that's quite uh, a task, hey? When you start recruiting for an agency that doesn't exist, uh, for an office that doesn't exist, <laughs> it's no. quite, quite, quite a special situation. <clears throat> but actually, um, that was the first um, proof point, I think, that- uh, a to be culture was was critical because I really still remember these conversations in, in the interviews with people, and there were actually were two groups of people. There was one set of people who were completely excited about the opportunity and and felt like this is something I want to shape, I want to help build and 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 and, and leave my mark. And there was another group of people who, after half of the half the interview was gone, they asked, "So, what's the job description? Can I have a job description?" And we were basically responding, well, we haven't written job descriptions. We know what the function is yeah. that you fit in here. If you are capable of writing your own job description as you go, and as we um, mature, uh, we will have all these things. But right here, right now, it's about, um, uh, well, getting the energy out and, and building this thing. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's a great word, actually, energy. I, I mean, I remember coming to see you when we were doing some work at JLR uh, when I was running my previous company, Oyster Catchers. And, you know, they'd said, look, we're, we're looking, they had some other agencies, um, and we're looking at, at you and Spark 44 and how we might be able to put everything into your uh, joint venture. And I remember going, well, that's literally not going to work, is it? That's a ridiculous idea. They'll be great at process, but they won't be good at at creativity and I'm not sure about the culture. It'll be a, just another production house. And I literally remember being just so surprised and blown away when we came in because it was all of those things you talked about. And at that time, it was you know, it's a reasonable size. Um, and I think what struck me was the energy, the positivity, the absolute kind of can-do attitude and a real sense of partnership. And I think, you know, I came from an agency background a long time ago and then and was a client for a short time. Getting that kind of partnership, getting a, you know, I think lots of agencies have lots of kind of culture, but that, that was very interesting. It was very different. And I guess that is what you, when you're beginning to talk about the kind of soul, how did you, did you actively think, right, this is the kind of soul we're going to have? This is the kind of culture. It, was it something you had really thought about? Or were you at the beginning just like build, 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 and then, 
you know, so often it comes from the personality of the leadership team. How, how did it, how did you create it? Well, when we got the green light in February, 2011, um, we, we, the five founders, we all sat down in a room in London, um, of a befriended agency they had offered us our, their, their conference room with a lot of flip charts in there. And so I think, I think we, I still remember we came back from, from the Midlands and, and where it was said, okay, now let's, 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 let's make it happen. And we were like, okay, now, now let's turn the business plan into, into reality. And, and um, culture was one other element on the, on the, on the, on the agenda. And uh, we were stuck with these five flip charts and um, and it was a, a mere moment of silence in the room when we wanted <laughs> to start talk about culture. And so um, one of us decided to flip the question and um, turn it around and ask, which culture do we not want to see in this company? Mm-hmm. And that actually did the trick because for everyone, there were like a number of things that they had in mind about uh, what they had experienced in their career in different places behaviors that they didn't want to see. And once we had the flip charts filled, which then went fast like lightning in uh, speed, um, we were able to build and design the organizational structure in a way uh, so that we could create an environment that could develop a culture that would be what I now do call a company with soul. Um, And I think that's a key learning is like, I mean, management can't, do the culture management can create uh, an environment for a culture to happen but it was interesting when when the book came out i I was approached by an entrepreneur who said well congratulations i like it and we've got a company with soul we i'm so proud of our culture and i said congratulations this is great but actually i only trust the employees when it comes to evaluating whether the company has got culture i hope you're right, this will be the best thing of all, but um, it's, it's the employees who yeah. can tell you whether the place has got it or not. I think every company has its culture, but only few got sold. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And you know, Glassdoor in the UK is one of those kind of measure, it's not really a measure of, of culture, but it because employees talk about it, and obviously you get some you know, disgruntled employees, you do get a real sense of it, and it's so, interesting often at the the kind of board table of companies where they'll go oh it's just not true we don't need to listen to it some take it very seriously but actually it's hard when you're not hearing from employees what you think you want to hear or or what you think you're creating um what do you what what were the, the 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 two or three things that you didn't want from the culture um from spark 44 well we were supposed to be in a, a global agency from the get-go, right? And yeah. uh, all of us had been in international networks and all of it, us had seen the fight for revenue between offices. And so this was one of the things that we wanted to avoid as good as possible. We wanted a company that where the employees had the opportunity to speak up and be honest and, and, and share their point of view um, that led to the the idea of the, the value of, of uh, be honest um, and we wanted a company that was striving for the best we wanted to create a an environment where 
great things could happen, amazing things would happen, as we call it later on, mm -hmm. uh, when we were talking about purpose. Um, um, but that actually was after the fact that the, the, um, the, the desire was to make sure that, that uh, the standard of quality was, was high. And so these three things actually um, were critical. And the first one in terms of the inter-office, avoiding the inter-office uh, fights for money, we basically set the company up as a one PL company. And yeah. uh, that took away that pressure and that opportunity for anyone. So everybody was about to focus on the work and not spend a lot of time on, 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 on admin and uh, start the infight between offices. Because as we all know, this is something that, that can kill a culture very, very quickly. And it's so interesting because it sounds so simple, doesn't it? You know, there'll be people listening to this going, well, of course you just have one PL. But that's, I mean, absolutely not what our agencies did at that time. And it is, it is, it's an easier thing to say than it is to actually deliver, isn't it? Uh, yeah, obviously, I mean, you have, there's a, there's a benefit if you start from a blank sheet of paper, yeah. because you can design it as you, as you, as you wish to a certain, certain degree. Um, and, and uh, obviously the, the, the play was about um, effectiveness and efficiency. So we were like, uh, uh, better, faster, cheaper, obviously. Um, but better was the first word because we felt yeah. the other two are useless if the quality isn't there. So it was always about quality in a very efficient way. Yeah, yeah, I can. Uh, yeah, absolutely, I can see that. So let's come on and then take that kind of learning into the book that you've written. Well, now let's before that. You know, you said at the beginning you left. Um, slightly surprisingly. Um, I mean, I didn't think any of us thought you were going to leave when you did and uh, whether you were perhaps encouraged to leave before you wanted to. Um, how did that feel? Um, well, it was a surprise for everyone, wasn't it? <laughs> so, um, um, but you know, I mean, our, our mantra was be bold, be brave, be honest. And, and uh, I've always been that. Uh, throughout my, my time in, in, in the various positions, be it as the COO or later on as the CEO. And um, if you're bold, brave and honest, um, things might happen every now and then that uh, are not planned as you think they should be. But, um, but well. it is a big, you know, it's interesting, you know, the, the, the title of this podcast is called Reset. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, during the conversations I've had over the last year, that moment of being made redundant, being fired, not getting the promotion, um, having to leave uh, your job for all sorts of reasons, even thinking you've left for a very good reason and it not kind of working out, are pivotal moments for us from a career point of view, but often for a personal point of view. And I guess, you know, for you, you probably wouldn't have written this book, certainly now, if that hadn't happened to you. But I wonder if there's other learnings that you've had from that moment because you know it's never a nice feeling is it you always want to be wanted and you've built something that you love what did it teach you about yourself well the the messages that i received the moment it, it was announced pretty much like an hour later it started messages started started to come in um they they told me or they they um they reminded me that one of the things that throughout my career I've always tried to um, try to make happen in, 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 in any kind of role 
is to um, to look for the potential in anyone that's around me and uh, benefit from their um, skills and, and their knowledge and, and their dedication or whatever. Um, because as a leader, I mean, you're always dealing with constraints, right? I mean, there's always, there's, there's never enough of anything um, because you always need the other piece that, it, that just isn't there in any, any moment. Mm. And what I've learned is um, bringing people together that bring in a level of expertise in areas that are complementary um, actually um, creates so much better results for, 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 for everyone and, 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 and such a different level of satisfaction that, um, uh, in, the, in the work environment that is, um, that is priceless. And uh, so, I mean, um, I mean, some of the, uh, the messages that I received from, from, uh, from people uh, during these days, they were saying like, I've, I've accomplished things that I never even thought I was capable uh, of, or I learned so much about being a kind, compassionate person or the way you trust your team is something I'll keep in my heart as an inspiration for the entire life. And um, and, and and when you get these, um, that's just so lovely. Isn't it? I wonder, I wonder how many leaders have had that much, you know, really kind of outpouring of um, of love, really. You know that that you really have. I think you know we all wish and hope that we change perhaps the lives and the careers of the people that work for us but actually you know to have that acknowledged but but also from a that that thought around creating kinder cultures um, because that's the bit that is we know so so difficult um and you know i, I know because i've heard them say it that is what the people that um work with you felt but actually i mean you asked what it what to do when it when, 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 I, when i had to leave um well, this book would have never happened, right? Yeah. So to a certain degree, then one always says one, uh, one door closes, another one opens. Um, this one opened, I mean, uh, good two and a half years ago, I would have met, it wasn't on my mind to write that book. Uh, it wasn't, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but, but, but reading all these messages and, and looking at your iPhone and, and, and seeing them and you're like, you can't, I mean, leaving them there is one thing, but actually, there's more in these messages um, that I, I think can can mm. can help others, and that was the motivation to write the book. And so, um, and and as the subtitle says, "Power and Culture and Success with the Soul System" is about culture as a driver of success. Because ever too often, there's this conversation: yeah, we'll, we'll talk about culture when we got time. Right now, we got other things to fix. That's not what it is. It's it's it's. Uh, I think it's a complete misunderstanding if you don't look at culture as a key driver. And I've talked about constraints. I mean, one of the biggest constraints that you always have is, is either it's time, money, or people, right? Or or three of them. Mm -hmm. And what people often don't realize is that there is a resource inside every company, uh, which I call commitment, that actually comes free of charge. The only thing you need to bring to the table in order to get that commitment is being open, being transparent, involve people, uh, share the um, share the pain, but also share the gain. Um, and then you get it, and 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 uh, people go the extra mile and all these things. And it doesn't cost a single penny. It doesn't take 
much more time. It just is a different way of doing things. And, and I think yeah. that's what it is. You're so right, Ralph. And, you know, it's fascinating for us. One of the things we're doing is um, training a, a thousand of the TUI employees and TUI is a, is a travel company. Um, and, you know, I mean, what a really, really difficult sector. There's lots of people have been impacted by COVID, of course, um, but really challenging. But actually what strikes me about all of them, and we, we you know, we do work around at our well-being conversation, creating kinder cultures, is the kindness that they show to each other, is that... And that commitment, exactly what you talked about. And I think, gosh, of all the companies that could be cross and angry and frustrated, they're not. And what they've spent so much time on as they're building their business and completely restructuring is their people and how they're helping them and how they are, you know, and what huge amount that they get in return. Um, and you, so you talk a lot about this. So can you explain the kind of soul system that you've created and you talk about in your book? How does yeah. that work? Yes. So the soul system has got three layers, three levels, actually. It all starts with purpose. And obviously purpose has been the wonderful buzzword over the last 10, 50, 15 years. Yes. Yes. And it's the, for us, it's the seventh in the seven needs of well-being and performance. Um, so we know it's really important, but uh, yeah, how does it fit for you? Well, being, having been in many discussions about purpose on, on many levels, um, I think there's one big error that, that's out there, which is there's too many people that think purpose is the end, but purpose only means to an end. And um, so that's why I look at purpose and define it as the shared purpose. And shared purpose to me has two dimensions. One is shared by the executive team, the leadership team, so that they're all bought into this. Mm -hmm. It's not just lip service, but then also shared with all the employees. So when you're doing your work with, 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 with TUI and, and lots of frontline people, um, unless they understand what the purpose of the whole operation uh, is, it's not going to be tangible at all. So shared purposes at the beginning, at the, at the starting point, and then the next level I call the shared understanding. So you see shared becomes a, yep. a word that, that keeps on um, popping up here. Shared understanding uh, is the next level of strategic uh, work, is about the vision, the mission, the values, and spirit. And spirit is the dimension in this area that very often is, is completely neglected. And similar to your question earlier on, did you have a plan about what you wanted the culture to be? That to me is spirit, is about for, for management to think about and define what culture they would love to see in their company. Um, because only if you have an idea of what, what, what it should be or what it's supposed to be, uh, you'll be in a position as it goes, goes on uh, to see whether it, it, it is like that or not. And so, that's the shared understanding. So shared purpose, shared understanding are the theoretical parts. And then come the shared behaviors, which means that uh, turning the strategic work into behaviors inside the company that impact all areas of, of the company, right? Mm. So it's about whether it's compensation, whether it's about uh, talent development, whether it's about uh, which partnerships you uh, get into as a, as a company, how you want to set up the relationship to your uh, customers, 
and, and clients, all these elements um, need to be thought through and need to be ideally coded uh, so that people have something to connect with and, and easily come back with, well, that's the way we do it here. And um, whether you find a name for it or whatever the expression uh, finally is, what is what's critical is there is a, or there needs to be a, a definition of how you want it to be and how you can connect it back to uh, your vision and your mission and your values. And, and, and then, because then it, it comes natural for everyone. And as the company and the, and the staff are basically working like that or behaving uh, like that, it becomes kind of your shared behavior inside the company. And to me, the, the corporate soul emerges when there is an integrity between these three elements, when there's a clarity on the shared purpose, clarity on the shared understanding mm -hmm. and shared behaviors that uh, connect easily with the first, uh, first two. And as we all know, obviously running a company um, is, is a marathon. It's, it, it, it's not like uh, we're going to be done next month. So making sure that this is continually, continuously um, developed and, and um, updated. Um, and, and then I think um, success is yours. And, 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 and uh, that's why I call it powering culture and success. Yeah, and I love that. I love the I love the combination of the three because I think so often, you know, companies have one or two, but that is the challenge is to get three. Um, at our Power Up Festival in May, you and Adrian Hallmark, who's the CEO and chairman of Bentley Motors, uh, we're going to be talking about this. Um, and, and you know, and in your book, you have lovely examples of, of businesses. Tell me a little bit about, so if you've got those three areas of shared purpose, understanding um, and behaviours, um, where in a company like Bentley Motors, how does that manifest itself? What, what can you see that shows that, you know, a, that a company kind of has soul? Well, I mean, Adrian, I think is now just four years at the helm of, 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 of Bentley Motors. And when he, when he took over, um, probably fair to say that the company was not in a good shape and uh, there was lots of negative press and, and rumors and all, all the rest of it and um, he and his team and I think when you talk to him he, he always talks about his team um, looked at this and, and um, came to the conclusion in terms of uh, setting the business up for success uh, it required the whole company to be with them. And uh, so they did one thing that is uh, very rare um, for companies in, in these situations. Um, they actually uh, took, the, took their entire plan for recovery and for the new strategy for Bentley in front of all their employees. So they, they did town halls with four and a half thousand people. And uh, the wonderful thing about it was, and it, Obviously, for a company that is in, 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 in a difficult situation, there's not just nice little things on these slides. There's lots of tough decisions that to, to be made. But none, nothing leaked out during any of these town halls. And when I visited uh, Adrian last year and I talked to some of the people in, in, inside the company and uh, asked them about it, and they said, well, you know, because this was presented 
uh, and addressed with such a level of integrity and honesty, we all felt that we would do harm to the company if we would not keep it to ourselves and, and get on with it and, and try to uh, do our best to actually get, uh, get it to a better place. And then I think, uh, obviously, um, we all know there's, uh, there's been COVID as a, yeah. as a challenge. And, and uh, Adrian mentioned in the book that uh, for him, it was a, a very, I mean, this was a new experience for all of us, but for him as a, as a company leader, it was a new uh, experience because the, uh, the the notion that as the CEO of the company you are in ch in charge of this uh, the safety of, of the lives in, in, of, of your people became a completely new dimension and then obviously there was Brexit um, that was a huge yeah. issue for for any exporting uh, company so you had to deal with all three elements the, the the economical situation the COVID situation and the Brexit situation and uh, uh, here we are and I think they announced a few few months back. Um, their, their, their new strategy and, and the new investment and, and uh, it's it's a it's a big success success story and, and uh, one that everybody can be proud of and it's because uh, Adrian was clear about the purpose he was clear about um, the vision and the mission and uh, took his people with him on that journey and and uh, um, the behaviors uh, from what I understood from my, my conversations there um, didn't need much adjustment. Um, I think it was more about the new, the new focus uh, that everybody could buy into and, and taking people with you. Yeah, uh, it, yeah, that's so interesting. And I think your story about telling the employees, talking to the people, getting them involved and them not talking. Um, my very first podcast was, was with Paul Pomeroy, who was the chief exec of McDonald's in the UK. And I've worked with him and McDonald's for about 15 20 years probably, um, and every year they have an AGM where they have their people, their suppliers and their franchisees. Um, and you would think, and there's thousands of people, and you know, it's been in the UK this last year, it's, it's often um, abroad. And I am always amazed, well, I'm not anymore, that nobody ever, you know, we go there, we hear their strategy in brutal detail for the next year and the next five years, but nobody ever talks about it. And I think, you know, that level of trust, because, you know, so often I'm asked, you know, why do they have such a amazing growth? How have they coped? How do they have such long-term partnerships with their agencies? And I'm like, well, you know, they do stuff that very few companies would do. Very few leaders are brave enough to trust their people, to be that open. So, you know, I think it's fascinating to hear the, the, the story that you say. Um, because I think it is the only way. Yeah, you know? I mean, I mean, you're saying very few are brave enough. To me, that's exactly the point. They shouldn't think of being brave to do it. It I shouldn't just so. be normal. That's why when I started to, um, or when I finished the work on the book, uh, I was talking to a good friend, Neil Cassie, um, about, um, about the whole idea and I said well there might be a moment when people ask me about my vision and my purpose and my, my, my mission and and, uh, and I said and, and uh, he helped me to, to, to find the right words and, and uh, we came up with, uh, with, a, with a mission statement which I think is, is uh, so right on the money in terms of getting rid of the idea of you need to be brave to do this. And uh, the mission statement is to make the leadership behaviors which build soul synonymous with the behaviors which build success. 
that's actually what it is about. Yeah, and you know, you are so right. It shouldn't be being brave, should it? I think um, it should be what people just do. Um, you know, in the same way that we see those companies that that have soul and culture and they put their people and the well-being and the performance of their people together. Um, it's not a brave thing to do. It's not a it's not a thing you do just because if you're nice, it you do it because it makes a difference and because you can see the measurable difference that it makes. Yes, absolutely. And and I mean in the book, I've got this soul index, which is a, is a performance ranking of yes, tell us a little bit about that. Because I think, you know, like with all of these things, if you don't have an element of measurement, it's much more difficult, isn't it, to link it back to I mean, you know, it's less link back back to commercial outcomes than you know, your you standard KPI, but it is something that we can do, we can see. We know diverse, inclusive environments. We know looking after the well-being performance of their people. You know, that kind of piece around soul and culture, culture tell us how that has grown and, and, how you, and how a company uses it. Well, I mean, what I, when I finished writing the book, Obviously, you, you research a lot, you interview a lot, you look into surveys and, 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 and statistics and uh, until you can't see the numbers anymore. But um, at the end, I thought, well, it's been interesting looking at various statistics that similar companies or same companies appear again and again and again in different, in, in different statistics. So I thought, let's, um, let's uh, create a ranking based on, on 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 all of these statistics and give them different weightings. And um, what I ended up with, is, or what the Soul Index uh, ended up with, is seventy five percent weighted on employee experience in terms of engagement, satisfaction, and uh, CEO approval. So, um, how satisfied are people in the job? How engaged are they? And what do they think of the of the man or the woman at the top? And the other 25% uh, are business and brand power. Um, and the companies that, that showed up there, I mean, the number one company is Adobe, and then number two is Salesforce, and then comes Microsoft. So three tech companies at the, at, at the yeah. top. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, and tech dominates the, the top 20 is 60%. Um, but there's old companies and new companies. The youngest company is, is Workday, which I think was, was founded in 2005. The oldest is Deloitte, which was 1870 something. So, uh, and everything in between. So, American Express, quite an old company too. But then there's a lot of uh, tech companies that were founded in the 70s and the 80s. So, um, why is it that, that there's so many tech companies? Because probably they identified human capital as a key to yeah. success much, much earlier than anybody else. And, and, uh, and through, through their growth, they actually um, developed it even further. But I was surprised about Adobe. I didn't expect Adobe. It was like, yeah, oh. I wondered about that because, you know, that does feel, you know, I, you know, I know a number of those companies. And actually, if I think about the clients we've worked with, um, Google, Pinterest um, have been very forward thinking. I, I, and I agree with you. I think they do grow and they're, they're kind of tech enabled. I also wondered whether it's because they tend to be run by what I would call, you know, quite modern leaders, where you know old, and which is why, in a way, the more um, traditional companies are even more impressive because they tend to have had the same kind of leadership for a long time. You know, we know this kind of stuff is well. I, I firmly believe, and particularly from from COVID, in the next two to three years, 
this kind of conversation that we're having now is the boardroom conversation of the future. It is the measurement of the future. It's not there now. It is on those, you know, kind of companies, I guess, like Adobe and Google and Pinterest, where it is critical and they talk about it. Um, and they're learning those kind of skills and leadership have either grown up with it or they passionately believe. You know, equally, there are lots of companies that I go into or see that, you know, I mean, they've scarcely got out of having white middle age middle class men only in the boardroom so they've got a very long way to go to be able to have these kind of conversations as well true true but as i said you need to code things so i don't did one thing which uh, in order to, to 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 drive innovation inside the company is, is a little thing but everybody inside the company knows it right so when you're at adobe and you think you have an idea that you want to pursue that, that could drive a product innovation of whatever uh, kind, you go to HR and they give you a red cardboard box. Um, there's stationery, there's snacks, there's lots of little stuff uh, in, inside, but there's also a thousand dollar credit card. And so the prepaid credit card you can use for anything that you need. You can buy books, you can go to, go to a seminar, you can buy whatever that is required to make sure that your idea can be presented as tangible for the next stage and that's kind of the way they uh, foster innovation in, in, inside their companies and it's a small thing if you think about it right yeah. so and over the years they've had like a uh, i think a thousand uh, employees have taken it and and they've got 23 23 or 24 projects that have already actually come to life uh, uh, through that simple stuff but there's also one other um, finding from looking at these companies i mean the average tenure of a ceo is, is about seven years, 6.9 something. Yeah. And um, I uh, looked into uh, how, how, this, how, how this applies to, the, to these top 20 companies and they're better. So 8.4 8 is the number, but the number is skewed because uh, if Jeff Bezos wouldn't have resigned last year, the number would probably be 11 point something, <laughs> right? Uh, because what's interesting in, in these top 20 companies you don't find any company of these top 20 that had more than two CEOs in the last 20 years. Wow. Okay, That's so start, isn't it? having people at the helm for a long, long time is something that characterizes these companies, which also is a function of, or is a, is a, is a key factor in building uh, culture and allowing an environment to actually take, uh, take form, take shape. Yeah, and that's it. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because you were, you were nearly nine years at Spark Forty Four, weren't you? So um, again, you were there to build and grow a business. And I think so often, it's not. You know, it gets going. I think that's a really interesting insight. Um, and then the other thing, there's two more things I'm interested in is um, who of the people that you interviewed of the companies. And you talked about Adobe, and I love that anecdote. Who of the people you interviewed and talked to surprised and delighted you the most? Well, I, I was most impressed of LinkedIn, actually. Yeah, they're an amazing company, hey? They are an amazing company. And uh, when, you, when you look into LinkedIn, um, they, they got, got something right, which many companies don't get right. So their purpose of facilitating professional networking is straightforward and clear. So there's no, you can't be mistaken in any shape or form their vision of creating economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. 
And I'm talking about shared understanding to make sure that people understand what the vision of the company is. If you say create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce, what is there that you can't get, right? I mean, this is so clear. There's no bing bullshit bingo kind of uh, um, um, language. And the mission to connect the world's professionals to make them more productive and successful. And then you look into the values and the values on, at LinkedIn, I think they, they are a good example of you don't need an extra spirit tab because they are clear and because they're both inward and, and outward focused, um, you have a very clear idea of how life at LinkedIn feels. So it's members first, it's relationships matter, it's be open, be honest and constructive, demand excellence, take intelligent risks and act like an owner. When you hear these, you have it in your mind, you know what this company kind of feels like and, and, and people get it. And that's what you get from people at LinkedIn um, when, when you talk to them. Yeah, you do completely. And, I, and that act like an owner is a lovely expression, isn't it? And it is exactly what you see. You know, they never fail to impress me, but you're right. They all have clarity around what they're doing. Um, creativity. So, you know, look, you, you've been in a creative environment for a long time. And, um, you know, I, I think that so often we, you know, we do identify with a kind of culture with creativity. You've already talked about innovation at a company like Adobe. Um, how does the kind of focus on soul, the focus on purpose, on the culture, help and enhance creativity because I think for me coming again coming back to spark 44 and you talk about it in, in, you know in, in JLL at JLR with your um with the case study in, in the book as well that is so important but so often it's not the way that we make that link I think when you work in a creative environment there's always the discussion uh, and conversation about the quality of briefs and the um the stronger the creative team, the more they always talk about, let's get a creative brief that is so precise, um, that is so clear, <clears throat> that, uh, is a, that then becomes the perfect springboard for, 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 for great work. And I think here's the same thing, like LinkedIn. If you're clear on who you are, where you want to go, and how you want to get there, and how it should feel on the way, you've probably, you're already halfway there because if all, if everybody inside your company knows this and understands this and sees the leaders playing by that playbook, um, you're, you will get that engagement of employees. You will get the, the, the satisfaction of your people. And uh, as a leader, you'll be recognized and, and accepted. And I think, that's the formula for making it happen. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, absolutely. Um, you know, we we talk about reset and you've certainly had a big reset and you've made the most of your time, um, but also well-being is really important to us. And I always like to ask my guests what they do for their own well-being. How do you um, satisfy that kind of physical, mental well-being and, and, and your own purpose as well? Well, I think from, for, uh, for, for my, my physical well-being, and I'm so happy that the sun's come out and, and spring is about to, to come. <laughs> so 
getting out of the hall and into, onto the tennis court is, is going to happen very soon, I'm pretty sure. And then and, and the golf, uh, playing golf is also possible again because the temperatures are getting into nice spheres. So uh, outdoor sports is, is kind of what I, what I really uh, like, like to do. And, uh, um, and, and, and that's going to be a great physical um, uh, balance, actually, to, uh, to what else is there. And um, yeah, I think what's also important uh, has always been and, and will always be is is, uh, 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 is, is your family and, and, and the people that you are uh, associated with in your private life. And you've got to make sure that you always have a social life. And uh, mm -hmm. especially, um, I mean, I remember my um, uh, Spark 44 days with lots of air miles. It's not so easy, and and uh, but you got to take the time, and you got to got to got to put time aside to, to make that happen because um, it's your kids or, or your wife or, uh, mm -hmm. or your friends um, that that actually um, is a huge uh, um, power to, mm -hmm. uh, to to mm -hmm. to charge your batteries. And you know, I've spoken to lots of people who've come out of the kind of corporate chief exec role and you know particularly you had a really busy you know you built a really big business as you said globally simultaneously um that's a lot to give up and a lot to get used to when you stop um and you know i often talk to leaders who have been in that environment and i've seen close hand a number of friends of mine actually really struggle to cope with being the leader of a lot of people um and then either you know you you've done this brilliant writing the kind of training and work you do but it is different or you know other people I've seen go into the kind of non-exec environment um and they and they like it in a different way but it's hard to not be identified perhaps by what they had before I've never seen you particularly as a you know you're, you're a very unassuming leader you you it's not about you it's always been about your teams but have you found it hard no interestingly not and I think um the reason for that is, as you as you mentioned, that you didn't perceive me as as or you didn't perceive me as, as, as assuming. Um, I think you when you're getting in, into these roles, you always have to um, be honest to yourself. There's something that is you, and there's something that is the role, and there's a, obviously the two come together. But um, if you identify or you, if you define yourself only by your role, then I think you're making a big mistake. Life is bigger than, than any role. And, and uh, uh, as I never did that, um, it probably didn't uh, hurt me as much as, as, as other people. And uh, obviously with the feedback that I got and the, uh, um, the inspiration to then write this book, I, I, I've actually connected with so many new people that uh, I never knew before, and then lots of interesting people and lots of interesting things are are happening. Mm -hmm. So um, I actually um, I'm, I'm I'm really good. I'm, 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 mm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a happy I, person. <laughs> well, do you know what? I see a very reflective side now of you. I think you you feel like you've grown. You know, we all try to, don't we? We grow as people, um, and as you say when you when you have to make a moment of reset sometimes you can regret it be angry and it takes up years and months of your life of 
anger and regret. Um, but actually, I'd never felt that from you. And I, what I've seen from you in the last few years, particularly writing this book and the times of interaction that we've had, is a real sense of your own soul and purpose and the growth that you've had and, you know, really appreciating your family, your friends, the time you've got and, and a different kind of way of working life, which, as you say, has opened you up to different people and different opportunities. And maybe that kind of entrepreneur in you has allowed you to, to do that as well. I don't know. Perhaps. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, so your brilliant book, um, Building Corporate Soul, can be bought online for from all kind of good uh, booksellers and Amazon. Uh, you can get it on the wonderful Audible um, so we can listen to it as well. Um, we're going to hopefully have some on May the 19th when we're at the at our Power Up Festival. Um, and, uh, you know, how else can they get in touch with you? How else can they get hold of your book or, or understand a bit more about what you've been doing? Yeah, so there's there's a website, uh, which is buildingcorporatesoul.com. Uh, so pretty straightforward. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn. And uh, I'm looking for any kind of uh, inter interaction with people that are supporting the movement of uh, making soulless companies a thing of the past. Absolutely. Well, making soulless companies a thing of the past is exactly what we're going to be talking about a little bit more with you and Adrian um, on May the 19th. And I'm really looking forward to that. But for today, thank you, Ralph, for sharing your story with us and being so open about it. But also, you know, I think talking about soul in business is something that it's not natural for, for many of us. It's not much natural for companies, but as you say, if we can make soulless business and companies a thing of the past, we will do a lot of good for society. And I think business as a whole, and these are very, um, you know, uh, complicated and changeable times. And I think this kind of focus will, will help us all. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Suki, for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network. Music